Hello and welcome to this At Any Rate podcast. I am Arindam Sandilaya from JP Morgan's Global FX Strategy Team. Now, FX markets uh, seem to be at one of those uh, strange junctures where uh, a lot seems to be going on in global macro, and yet uh, there isn't adequate reflection of that uh, in the currency price action. FX remains within tight ranges. On the macro front in particular, we've seen an eye-watering surge in bond deals over the past month. A lot of DM central banks have had to reassess their uh, end of tightening uh, plans in the face of uh, insufficient progress on disinflation. We've seen two-year treasury yields jump uh, 120 basis points from their uh, lows in early May. Um, and, and levels are now back to uh, where they were uh, before the SVB episode in, in March. Uh, alongside uh, the rise in yields, we've had incoming growth data uh, turning out to be uh, somewhat weak. Uh, PMIs for June that came out last week showed broad-based weakness across countries and sectors. And services PMIs in particular have started to now fall and converge towards uh, manufacturing PMIs. Um, the combination of uh, weak growth and high yields you know, on the surface should appear to be fairly risk negative. And yet, when we look at the price action in financial assets, this has not turned out to be the case. FX carry, for instance, has continued to perform uh, extremely well through June. Uh, broad equity indices seem to be holding in particularly well. Uh, some of the currencies that we are not very upbeat on also seem to have fared uh, reasonably okay in the face of uh, this sort of growth plus rates uh, set up. Uh, so some odd disconnects uh, in the market, and to help me uh, understand this better, I have with me my colleagues um, James Nelligan and Patrick Locke. Guys, uh, welcome to this podcast. And, and Pat, maybe we start with you, uh, since we are at the cold face of this move in in Treasury is uh, stateside. 100 basis points plus sell-off in the past two months. Uh, you know, just uh, boil it down uh, to a couple of bullet points for our listeners. What exactly is going on there? Yeah, thanks, Random. And as you kind of alluded to, I mean. It's, it's been a remarkable move, both, both in terms of the pace of change, um, which is kind of coming close to rivaling the, the extreme repricing that we had last May and then kind of the September-October period, um, but then also just in outright levels terms. I mean, in real yields, market-based measures of real yields are back at, you know, kind of 07 levels. So uh, pretty striking overall, uh, for sure. Um you know, in terms of drivers, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward. Just growth and inflation dynamics are not playing ball with kind of what forecasters have projected and what central bankers have kind of been hoping for um, halfway through this year. Data in the U.S. continues to print well. We've seen that this week, particularly concentrated in the labor market. Um, just as a quick aside, I'll note that this podcast is actually being recorded just about an hour before the uh, NFP release. Um but, you know, that's kept, you know, the market pricing in more than 25 basis points, uh, you know, uh, for the Fed through the back half of this year. Um, more broadly, we've we've been of the view that, you know, persistent um, kind of in sticky inflation is ultimately kind of reflective of bigger picture macroeconomic imbalances. And ultimately, that can kind of be pinned down to the labor market. So we still haven't seen sufficient kind of adjustment in the, in the supply and demand there. And so. Um, yeah, I mean, yields continue to reasonably track uh, these elevated levels of, of growth and inflation. And then, um, you know, it's just it's not just a, a U.S. move either. Um, you know, we've had kind of a growing chorus among central bankers throughout the DM space that, you know, core is still too sticky. Um, and so hence, you know, the RBA kind of surprised expectations a month ago. The BOC came off the sidelines from their conditional pause. The BOE upped their pace of hikes. Um, um, you know, to, to 50 again. And so it's not really just necessarily the U.S. data and the Fed doing all the kind of the heavy lifting here on rates. Um, there's 
in my opinion, there's a global beta effect too. Um, again, you kind of saw that with UK inflation expectations this week. Um, so actually, US rates actually outperformed UK rates, uh, despite the pretty significant repricing uh, that we had yesterday. So um, I would argue as well that there's a probably a pass through from higher yields elsewhere in the world, uh, also under the into the US side. Um, and then there's some technical factors, I guess, you know, to keep in mind as well. One I don't think is having that much of, a, of an impact is, is the TGA rebuild. Um, our rates guys have noted that, you know, despite a pretty large supply of new bills over the last month or so, um, that they don't think that there's much of a valuation effect to be had there. So I don't think that's driving a whole lot. On the other hand, though, they've been pointing out that their, um, their client survey measure of positioning has been um, quite elevated relative to historical levels. Uh, and so certainly with the sell-off, you could suggest that the, you know, there's been a positioning unwind that has kind of exacerbated some of the, uh, the rate sell-off lately. So you know, from an FX standpoint then, uh, given a, an yield move of this magnitude, would, should this not have been you know, much more straightforwardly bullish for the dollar, especially against the context of the rest of the world data flow, particularly through the June PMIs that have come in on the weak side? Yes, um, it definitely does strike me that, you know, when speaking to clients, there's been a sense of frustration that the dollar has not done what it should relative to the extent of the, the rates repricing that we've had in hand, which is fair, I think, given that the dollar was relatively well correlated to outright levels of U.S. yields earlier in the year from, say, March through May, uh, and then, of course, through most, most of 2022 as well. Um, and again, that's also in the context of uh, yield levels making some pretty considerable new highs, um, some cycle highs, some 15-year highs. Um, and so the dollar twice range as a whole over the last month or so, um, you know, has been kind of underwhelming. Um, but that said, is as I alluded to earlier, it's been a global rates repricing as well. Um, so the, the move in the UK yields, for example, is about twice of that of the U.S., Dating back to June, Australia and Norway have also had slightly larger moves in U.S. yields um, on net during that period. So there's likely a relatively relative phenomena kind of at play here um, or said differently. You know, it wasn't an entirely U.S. led move over the last few weeks. Um, and so that's understandable for the dollar, given that G10, you know, this year has been pretty well explained by relative rate differentials generally. So I think, you know, in that sense, this kind of bifurcated price action that we've seen for the dollar since June is not entirely unreasonable, even if it is still disappointing. Um, again, kind of like considering technical factors here as well. A um, couple other things I just point out is that, you know, we've been tracking the, the high degree of, um, you know, spot vol correlation for the dollar to I. Um, vol across the board continues to look, continues kind of like, you know, to shift downwards even after this rate, rate repricing, which seems surprising. Um, maybe some evidence this week that that's starting to shift a little bit, but, you know, mostly across June, lower vol probably was an anchor um, to the dollar more broadly. Um, and then back to the TGA again, you know, our expectation had been that the debt ceiling was, um, you know, we were potentially facing a liquidity squeeze um, that would support the dollar as, as the TGA was replenished. Um, it's looking like that may be somewhat less of a tailwind than we had originally expected. Um, given that basically money market funds are actually seemingly migrating away from the overnight RRP rather than staying there um, and prompting, prompting a downshift um, in the overall stock of bank reserves in the system. So, 
we still think bank reserves fall about 400 billion by the, um, by the end of the year, um, but that's less than what we had originally expected. So again, maybe le a little bit less of a bullish tailwind to the dollar through this channel than we had been kind of expecting about a month ago. Got it. So uh, James, just bringing you into the conversation. Uh, so Pat's mentioned UK yields uh, you know, a couple of times in his comments. Clearly, something is going on in the UK that seems, um, you know, somewhat exceptional, if you can call it that, vis-a-vis -vis the rest of G7. But broadly, also within your ambit of European FX, what do you see is the impact of this uh, generalized surge in DM bond yields in the last month? Yeah, sure. I think there's uh, there's obviously there's a few angles to consider uh, with the move higher in yields in terms of you know the implications for for FX and, and my space. Um, you know, there's a there's a carry angle and there's a growth angle. So, um, if yields are rising for for quote good reasons, then you know the market is probably going to re-engage with with carry at some stage. Um, you know, we've been focused on Scandi currencies as as a space where you don't have enough carry to to offset the high beta that they have. So, you know, that's why, for example, Noki, even though you've had a more hawkish uh, Norges Bank, that the currency has has lagged. Uh, due to this uh, this ongoing uh, knock selling carry flow and and the ongoing carry environment um, in Sweden, there's a, there's probably an extra angle with the with the downgrades we, you know, we've seen in in the housing sector. Obviously, yields are, are very relevant, and so the process of of DM yields outside of Sweden dragging Swedish yields higher that will have an impact on growth, even though. You, you know, not all of the move is coming for 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 Swedish specific uh, reasons. So, um, and then on to sterling. I mean, this you know, this is definitely not a, a good rise in yields. It's it's being driven by unwanted uh, wage price dynamics and obviously ongoing supply side uh, labor market issues. Um, but really, the market probably needs more evidence on on the growth side uh, that higher yields are, are starting to bite. Uh, we, we have seen two months worth of, of undershoots on, on the UK PMI data and our economist has, has been flagging hard landing risks. You know, if the BOE do deliver uh, forward pricing on, on terminal rates, uh, we run a, just a simple rates based model for the PMI, which suggests that the composite could could fall below 50 over over coming months. Um, and you can see in the market, if you look at Cable's correlation to to rate spreads, uh, which is, has historically tracked um, core inflation surprises uh, reasonably well, that's that's now decoupled from from the new high in, in core inflation surprises. So that that suggests uh, some recognition in the market that that higher yields are, are not necessarily uh, good for the currency. Um, but overall, you know that that mix of high yields and the different drivers, we're, we're still bearish on uh, sterling, Noki, and stocky in in uh, the European space. And then, uh, how do you uh, view currencies through the lens of this incoming slew of what can be described as fairly downbeat sort of growth information over the past week? Does this reinforce your bearish take on on these currencies? Uh, yeah, it does. I, but I, it's been frustrating. I mean, if we look at kind of Euro dollar, for example, just to broaden things out a bit, you know, obviously we're we're stuck up here around 108, 109. It's been frustrating and in investors, um, you know, especially given the the relative data surprises between the US and Europe, um, you know, driven by by the the weaker, the softer PMI data that that you you mentioned. Um, one one issue that I just mentioned is 
is that equity internals aren't really recognizing that weaker data. Uh, so if you, if you look at the, the valuation gap between Eurozone cyclical defensives and, and PMIs, it's it's pretty much at record wides. And our, our equity strategists have been have been looking at that uh, both in the US and Europe. Um, and part of that is is beta from the US. So as as the market is priced out some US recession risk, uh, it's also priced out some some Eurozone slowdown risk too. Um, so it might be the case that we just need more weak European data for the market to to distinguish between the US cycle and, and the European cycle. Um, so the PMIs do do remain important, even though we have already had a string of, of negative surprises. Uh, but in, in terms of the, the data this week, uh, the PMIs this week, what really stood out to me was uh, the composite PMI in Sweden making a new cycle low. Uh, but this time it was driven by services rather than manufacturing. Um, so, so across G10, you know, in our, in our discussions with with clients, that there has been, uh, you know, more discussion about service sector outperformance as pandemic savings are, are run down. Uh, but obviously, in Sweden, as an you know, and as economy, it didn't lock down during COVID. So. They have much less pandemic savings to to support the service sector. So um, there are kind of we are, we are seeing some dangerous kind of feedback loops forming for Stocky, where you've got you've had the tighter Rick's bank policy hurting growth, and that's weakened Stocky, and then that currency weakness keeps CPI high uh, and sticky, and then that that requires even more Rick's bank tightening. So uh, we think Euro Stocky can can easily push past twelve year and and make its way towards around 1220 area where uh, we'd look to reassess. Uh, Arindam, on uh, your side, uh, are there any developments to report on, on Asia effects? Yeah, no, plenty of uh, idiosyncratic, hard to understand moves, but maybe for a global audience, I'll just flag two that could be of more interest than, than the rest. The first is on the yen, you know, mercifully certain correlations in FX markets still hold, and the yen is one of those. Generally, when you look at history and ask yourself which currencies tend to suffer the most when global bond yields rise, it's historically always been the yen because the BOJ has been a relative laggard in rate hikes or on hold close to zero rates for a very long period of time, which is exactly the way it played out in uh, in June for the yen. The trade-weighted yen index fell about 3%. Uh, so, so that call has been validated. Uh, we did revise up our dollar yen forecast north of 150 uh, in the media outlook for, for those of our listeners who may not have uh, have seen that. And uh, the risk bias from our, from our strategists in Tokyo is that dollar yen could even overshoot you know, that sort of forecast. Uh, the second uh, thing to flag is what's going on with CNY. Dollar CNY has been in, a, in an entrenched uptrend since May. But the delta on that story over the past uh, week, week and a half has been very outsized resistance to CNY weakness from the PBOC by their uh, 9.15 a.m. fixings. They've been fixing uh, CNY substantially below the street forecasts, which is a signal from the central bank that they do not want to see any more CNY weakness. So this is all, all uh, good. And some we've seen many instances of this in the past. What's remarkable about this particular episode is that Central bank seems to be getting far less bang for buck for these sorts of signals. The market is looking at these downside fixing surprises and saying, um, you know, there isn't enough in terms of fundamental CNY strength to give you large pullbacks in dollar CNY. And as a result, 
any dips in dollar CNY on the back of these fixings have proven to be quite shallow. And what we're looking forward to is uh, the Politburo meeting out of China later this month, where the hope is that you could get a reasonably punchy cocktail of uh, fiscal easing measures. Uh, if those measures do not surprise the market on the upside, then chances are that you could see the current sort of PBOC resistance on dollar CNY give way to further extension of this trend higher and possibly through 730 on dollar CNY. So let's leave it there for today. Uh, we come to the end of this podcast. Thanks very much for listening in. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on July 7, 2023.